Hello and welcome to The Huddle, brought to you by Wilson, the official game ball of the NBL. And we're back. And today, I got Laurie Chiswick with me. It's International Women's Day, and I'm bringing in the first female assistant coach in the National Basketball League. And she's a great chap. We talk about um, her history, her achievements in the game, a long history and life in basketball. Um, Her experiences about being a trailblazer in this competition, how she joined Brian Gorgian's coaching staff at the Victoria Titans 20 years ago and what what that was like working with, uh, you know, um, Jason Smith and Chris Anstey. Uh, it tells a funny story about, about Ben Pepper. Um, some of the challenges that she faced, if she realized she was being a trailblazer when she she stepped into that role. We, we talk about female coaches in the NBL ranks since her, um, there's been a few. There's one right now in New Zealand in Chanel Pompelier. Uh, why we haven't seen more and what could be done to um, increase that um, over the years. Um, we talk about the incredible recent work of Liz Mills coaching the Kenyan national team to Afro basket um, and what her future could potentially involve. Um, and then we finish up with some observations of, of NBL 21 so far and, and recent games in the cup. Her, her appreciation for Josh Giddy, her observations and, and thoughts on, on, on Melbourne, Perth and Brisbane, those teams in, in great form throughout the NBL cup and, um, and her thoughts on, on fourth quarter execution and what she's been seeing in the NBL in recent times. So it's a great chat. She's excellent. Um, I know you'll enjoy it. So sit back, relax. Up next, Laurie Chizzy. All right, Laurie, um, welcome to the Huddle Podcast. Thank you, Liam. This is my very first podcast I've ever done, so really excited to be doing it with an expert such as yourself. Oh my God, first podcast. Outstanding. Yep. How, how on earth is that the case? <laughs> I don't know. I listen to lots, but this is the first I've done. So yeah, really excited about it. Let's, uh, let's set the scene a little bit here. I, I mentioned some of this a little bit uh, off the top, but you played the game at a high level, represented Canada, played in the, the WNBL. Um, you then became an award and championship winning head coach in the WNBL. You've worked with our national programs for many years uh, as an assistant with the Opals at the Olympics, as well as numerous junior national teams. You're a veteran of the TV broadcasting game, of course, <laughs> as an analyst for our, for our Women's National League. You spent years coaching at the grassroots level. Um, and of course, where I got to know you was during your time as a trailblazer in the men's game, becoming the first female assistant coach in the NBL when you worked with, with Gorge at the Victoria Titans. My goodness, this is some kind of life in basketball you're having. Oh, well, I mean, saying all that, I feel actually quite old, Liam, uh, (laughs) to go back that far. But, you know, I was reflecting a little bit and and it's certainly not the way I planned, you know, my my life plan. I went to university. I got a science degree in, in geography, was planning to work in the oil industry in um, in Canada fortunate enough to come out here and, and play, uh, only planning to come for one year. Uh, well, here we are 30 plus years later, and I've made a career out of basketball, whether that's been playing, coaching, commentating, administering. Um, and 
you know, there you go. Completely different to what I ever imagined. <laughs> what was, uh, what was going to be your job in the oil industry? Well, there's lots of different things, but I was very much into the geography, the analyzing of the, the structures and the rocks and where the formations and that were. So, oh, yeah. And it was big time in, in Calgary at the time, you know, then the oil industry was booming. And so that's just naturally where I thought I would end up. Right. Well, things worked out a little differently, as you said. Um, we're going to talk a lot today about your your time in the NBL specifically, right? As an NBL an NBL podcast, NBL listeners, um, you're the one who set the table, right? There's been a few others who have followed in your footsteps in terms of females as part of the coaching staff in the NBL, but you were the one who um, first got that done. What Before we talk about your experiences in that realm, let, let's talk a little bit about working with Brian Gorgian because he's an enormous part of this season having returned to the NBL after 11, 12 years away from the game. What, what are your memories of, of working with him or getting to know him before even you started working with him back 20 years ago? Well, it's, um, I mean, first of all, it is, it's great to see him prowling the sideline again, you know, with his Gorgian um, antics. And, and, and I was thrilled when I knew he was coming back to coach in Australia. Um, I first sort of got to know Brian when I actually worked at Basketball Victoria. Uh, and he would come down and um, do some workouts with some players. And he'd actually sometimes, you know, say, look, can you look after Gemma for me for a couple of hours? Well, you know, and she'd be in the office and I just got to know him. And then when I started coaching in the WNBL, um, you know, I always followed what he was doing and, and got him to come down and do some sessions with, with the girls. Um, and I really, you know, I liked what he did. I liked the way he coached, his manners, the, the, the things that, and I was new to the coaching um, gig then. So it was really good to be able to have his voice and, and sort of chat about things. So that's how our initial relationship started. And then it was really a matter of, of timing as far as, you know, actually starting to work with him. I, um, I had been coaching at Boleyn and didn't get reappointed. I like to say that instead of, you know, I got back. <laughs> I didn't get reappointed. Um, and uh, it's funny because that was right during the time when the Olympics were on and I was part of the Opals then in the peripheral a little bit as a selector. Right. And I had to go to a camp just as, you know, that announcement had been made. And I walk into a, a coaches meeting and Tom Marr goes, congratulations, and sticks out his hand and goes, you're now a real coach. You've been sacked. You're not a coach until you get sacked. So that was uh, that was my um, lead up after I, I uh, worked with Boleyn. But the timing was then, and you know that that took a real hit on my self confidence too. Am I good enough to coach at this level? Am I, um, you know, is there a future in it, or have I just been sort of pretending all this time? But you sort of, you know, go on, and and uh, after a few months. The timing was really right when um, Guy Malloy, who was uh, Brian's assistant, got the head coaching job in Cairns. Mm -hmm. And so I knew there was a spot there. They trained in Sandringham. I lived close by and I wasn't doing anything. I wasn't coaching. And I thought, well, why not? Why not just give Brian a call and um, have a chat with him? So that's exactly what I did. I, I, I rang him. I said, can we catch up for coffee? He said, sure. We sat and, um, and had a chat about the possibility of me joining the Titans. Um, and 
the thing about Brian that I think about right from the very beginning is he was so, and, and you know, we're talking now 20 years ago. Mm. Um, he was just really open to the idea. He's like, well, yeah, look, I've, I've never worked with a female. Certainly the guys will never have been coached by a female. You've never coached guys, but let's give it a talk. Let's give it a try. Let's, let's test the waters. We'll have a bit of a trial period and see how it goes. But, yeah, let's, um, you know, I think the fact you've been a WNBL coach, you've been um, involved with the Olympic program that that gives you that status within our coaching staff and, and let's give it a go. So really, that was it. Walked into the first team meeting and he said, this is, you know, Lori, she's going to be with us. And then just went on as if I was part of it right from the very beginning. Um, so it was I give a, a lot of credit to Gorge. And the fact that at that point he was willing to take a chance on me. It's um, it's interesting that it came that leap that had never been done before in this league in the 20 year history up until that point had came after a period of time where you'd just taken a hit to the confidence. Well, I mean, I look back and I, and I agree with that. And you, it's something that, you know, I, I, I tell coaches now that you just have to, if opportunities present themselves, you just have to jump on it. I didn't know whether it was going to work or not. And I remember distinctly dialing, you know, punching in Brian's number and going, should I, should I, should I, you oh, know? Really? Oh my goodness. Yes. And then, um, you know, yes, phone dials and, and, you know, heart pounding and, and, um, and then we had that conversation and met for coffee. So yeah, it was hard. It was it was hard to um, to do that, uh, but I just bit the bullet. So what what season was that? Was that was I in that meeting? Was oh, that? No, your, it was the year before. I was trying to. In fact, Liam, I we've got um, uh, I've got basketball pictures all in our hallway, and there's one of the Titans, and I I looked at it after I knew we were going to have this chat, and there you are, your face smiling, <laughs> and the Titans roster. That was. 0102 and I started 2000 2001 season. Right. And so when you walk into that meeting and then you know, he introduces you to the fellas, you've never done it before like you said, it had never been done before in in our league. And then you go out from there on court. I remember how he would do it, the meeting upstairs in the yeah, in that yeah. room and then you go down the stairs and then you get started on court. What I guess two parts. What what were your kind of feelings? of at that point, were you anxious? Were you apprehensive? And then how did you feel like you got, uh, what response did you get? Not from him that had already been established, but by, from the players. Well, I have to say, I mean, I was a bundle of nerves for sure, but excited as well. I mean, you put on a facade that, you know, yeah, this is, you know, I'm cool. I, 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 I'm big time. I, get, I get all this and that, <laughs> but inside your stomach's just churning. But, um, you know, initially, of course, I needed to, I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't say much because I'm trying to figure out how Brian, you know, the structures he's running, the way the language he's using, um, how the guys are, are you know, going. And I don't want to just, they need some time to get used to you as well. So initially it was very much, let's just see what's happening and, and, you know, later in coaches meetings, you could say a little bit, but even then you're a little bit hesitant to speak up because you just want to um, make sure you're saying the right things and you're on the right page. But, but I mean, initially, 
and I, I'll never forget this in the first, I don't know whether it was the first week or the second week, you know, how guys, everybody, players shoot around after training, get a hundred mm-hmm. shots up or whatever, and mm-hmm. assistants and coaches just rebound for them. So Kevin Gorgon's down at one end. I'm at one end. I start, you know, they shoot the ball. I rebound, pass it out to them. And they were saying, Oh, thank you. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks. I mean, who thanks a coach when they're rebounding? It was so awkward. I'm like, oh my goodness, you know. And, and you know, Jason Smith, Tony Rawlson, those, it just, and then finally it was like they just stopped doing that. Right. It just became, it became the norm. But that was, um, that was them just not being used to having a female coach and, and how to act. And, and that, that, that evolved very quickly, I think, because of the way Gorge went about it. Right. And the other thing I remember really distinctly, and you weren't there uh, my first year, Ben Pepper was, um, mm-hmm. was there and he was injured um, near at the beginning of the season. And uh, so now I'm, now I'm involved and, 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 you know, more part of the team and Gorge goes, all right, Laura, I want you to um, really ride Pep hard on the sideline. So, cause he's trying to come back and get gain his fitness. And, and so, you know, match him up with the team. And when they sprint, transition he goes and so he's sprinting the sidelines and I want you to ride him hard and keep him going this whole you know next drill or whatever and so he's running and running and now he's starting to slow down I'm going come on pep pick it up come on you got to keep going you know as we do and uh pushing pushing and at one stage he's just run by me and I can't say exactly what he said on this podcast but you know he told me in clear terms where to go and you know how quickly to do it and uh and again I was like you know in in, calm demeanor on the outside you know still going at him inside I'm just like whoa And, uh, and later at the end of training he comes over and goes well, I guess you're really part of the coaching staff when I can yell at you like that. So that made me, you know, in a roundabout way, feel like I had uh, ticked the box and I was now truly part of the uh, staff. That's great. That's great. You, you talked about getting to know the language that Gorge used. That's something that I found really difficult when I first came and started practicing with the group and started uh, becoming a part of the team because it he talks like a, a code of language that no other coach does it's he's got his own just um short sharp way of expressing himself and i remember being really confused and i remember sitting there uh, during a drink break of one practice session and brad sheridan's like what are you doing like why did you do that i was mate i said mate i have no idea what he's saying I have no idea. I just nod my head like I'm supposed to be a high IQ point guard who, who kind of, you know, a coach's extension on the floor. And I'm like, dude, I have no idea what he just said in that, that 30 seconds. That was, that's a legit thing when you're walk, working with any coach, but especially, especially that man to kind of come to terms with. Well, can you imagine him in China and uh, how he goes with his, you know, his, his interpreter and what he says and that, but there's no doubt he was very, um, succinct in what he said but Mm. he did have his terminology and the way he went about things and you do have to learn that because your coaching staff has to be on the same page and use that same language and so that the players don't become confused and mix messages so that was a really uh, a big learning curve um just in 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 that regard right um what was cool for me um working with you was obviously i was brand new to that level 
I'd never, apart from my mom, to begin my, you know, my basketballing journey when I was six or seven, I'd never had a female coach over the course of my junior career and and through into the seniors and then at, and then I arrive at that level and that's why I was confused when you're telling that story because I was like I don't remember that meeting because for me, yeah, you were just one, you were just one of the coaching staff, you were just one of the people yeah. for me to learn from and it was Gorge and it was Kev and it was you and then there were others like Damien Cotter and Ken Shields yeah. that were coming along to practice. Um, what is that eventually how you felt like, okay, this, I'm not, this is not a new thing for me or for the league anymore. This is just where I belong. Oh, totally. And, and it happened pretty quickly, to be honest. And again, you know, credit to the guys and to Gorge, the way that, and Kevin, you know, to just, we, we worked well together. Um, and I think the more, you know, the longer I was involved, the more comfortable I felt too. So then you you become involved and you you talk to the players on the sideline, you work with them. Um, you know, I had I had the role of of and I don't you know I was going to ask you this if you have memories of this of of you know scouting the opposition. So I would take the the um, you know, the the scout team and work with them on the other court to mm-hmm. to get them up to speed with what the opposition was running, and then we'd come back and do that. And um, we we got some wins. We were good and we were competitive, <laughs> <laughs> and that was that was a real way for me to immerse myself and. And also then it gave me an opportunity to understand the rest of the league too, because that was important right. as a coach. So, so as I'm, you know, preparing our, our scout team, I'm, you know, I'm getting a feel of what all the other teams and, and coaches are capable of doing as well. Do you, is it something that you look back with pride about being a trailblazer in this sport, in this country, in that regard? Um, and did you, did you feel it at the time uh, did you did you take pride in that at the time saying you know what I'm I'm opening doors here and and this is great for me and I'm enjoying this as part of my career but hopefully this is something that can build into something for others in the future you know what honestly I feel a lot more pride now looking back than I probably did then at the time I think I was more interested in just being considered a coach first and a female second right. like just 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 judge me as a as a coach not not that I'm a female in there and, and I mm-hmm. sort of took that approach so I didn't really it, it always struck it, it it hit home when um you know different incidences would come up so so we were you know we were in Adelaide playing and um you know, I had a, a friend there that was watching the the um, televised game and he had a friend that was at the game and he told me this later. And the friend at the game has messaged him going, there's some random bird that keeps, you know, wandering on and, and being involved in the timeouts. Like, what? Why aren't the refs? And so <laughs> they didn't even know I was an assistant. You know, that was right. so far from their psyche that there would be a female assistant. Right. And, you know, when you hear stories like that, or, or I remember the first time I went to Vodafone and, and just said, you know, I'm with the, I'm with the Titans. Um, and they're like, oh, are you, are you the manager, the water girl? And it's like, no, I'm, I'm one of the assistants. Oh, you know, so it's when I had those sort of incidences, it made me think, 
Yeah, this is this is a bit special and this is new to everybody. Um, you know, and I remember even some of the broadcasting was like, oh, wow, it's it's great to see Laurie on the bench. Like it was just it was new. And but when it came to the day to day things, no, I was just happy. I was involved in this amazing coaching environment and, and, and team environment and learning and soaking so much up. And then at the end of that O2 season, the Titans folded and everybody went their, their different ways, right? And Gorge went and made history in Sydney and, and um, you know, other players went in, in different directions. If that hadn't happened and you'd have continued to, to be a part of that coaching staff with the Titans and continued to learn under, under Gorge, would you have continued to progress your career in the men's game? Do you think, to, could you potentially have seen yourself as a head coach in the National Basketball League at some point? Well, I mean, that's a, that's a really good question because when I first started out, um, you know, there was a, a, an interview I did um, with one of the TVs, I can't remember. And, and I said at the time, you know, I'm not interested in being a head coach. I just want to be a really good assistant coach. But I think as I, you know, became more involved and, and I mean, I was so disappointed at the end of that, when, when the Titans, you know, got bought out and we all got sacked again, um, you know, it, uh, it, it's something that um, I think, you know, given that um, Brian was such a good teacher and environment um, and, and one of the things I loved about going from the women's to the men at that time, it's changed now, mm. but we had so much more contact with the athletes in the women's comp in the WNBL at that time, you still only trained twice a week in the evenings. You had to, you know, really, they weren't professional athletes. Right. Some of them, you know, a handful, Michelle Timms, you know, LJ were, but really it was a part-time thing trying to, you know, put this team together. So that was the biggest thing I noticed when I came to the men was you had contact with them every single day. You know, what we ran at the beginning of the season wasn't anything that we ran to the, at the end of the season. Cause you would know we could tweak and we could change. And, mm. and I love that environment of, you know, being up there with a whiteboard with Gorge and, 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 you know, tweaking this and looking at that and, and, so I feel like I advanced my coaching a lot, even though it was only the two years there. So you say, now, if I had been able to stay in that environment and continue working, maybe it is something that, um, that, that could have happened. And, and, you know, wow, wouldn't that have been great? No doubt that could have happened. I have no doubt about that whatsoever. Um, 20 years later, and so far, only three others have followed in those footsteps of yours as, as female uh, members of an NBL coaching staff. Uh, Michelle Timms, of course, with the South Dragons, Tracy York for a period of time there with the Adelaide 36ers alongside Joey Wright. And currently now, Chanel Pompelier with the New Zealand Breakers. Three in the following 20 years. How does that sit with you? Well, it, it, you know, I would love it to be more. I, I would love it to be, you know, that, that, the females put up their hands for, for, for jobs in the NBL, just like men do. And um, it's disappointing. Um, and, and, you know, what's, you know, we're always talking about what are the reasons, why is that happening? 
And, and I think it's two parts. I think there's lots of good male coaches out there um, mm-hmm. that, you know, are, are competing for this small number of jobs in Australia. Um, and I think that females um, haven't put their hands up either, have been reluctant to, you know, maybe, you know, like I did take that chance, just, just put your hand up and, and, you know, you might get, I mean, I think of all the jobs and coaching jobs I put my hand up for and got knocked back for, you have to be prepared. That's part of this caper with, with coaches. So I think now is a, I mean, I hope there's a change um, and that it doesn't matter whether you're male or female, if you're a qualified coach and, and you think you're, you know, they'll be helpful to the program that, that, that you get that opportunity. I think now's a good time. I think there's a bit of a groundswell right now for, for females and, and, and coaching and, and lots of things, administrators. And, um, you know, it would be an exciting time to be, a, I think, a young and up-and-coming female coach right now. Are there any out there at the moment in the coaching game that you would love to see take that leap, make that transition um, you know, I think about a, like a Larissa Anderson or a, or a Katrina Hibbert or someone like that. Is there someone out there that you would you would say, you know what, if, if your situation changes and your current position or you, you don't kind of, you're not feeling that right now, I think you and your personality and your knowledge of the game would transition across and you should look out for those jobs? Well, I think, you know, one of the things I think we should have is a, um, because we don't even have enough females coaching in the WNBL. You know, there could be more females in the WNBL too. There should just be more females out there. And, and mm-hmm. I think, you know, we need to have a, a depth chart. You know, we always have depth charts of players. Have a depth chart of, of coaches and, and, and female coaches. And yes, can you, you know, is that somebody where their attributes might suit the men's game or they're at a position where, where you know, it would it would just it would be a good fit. And I, and I think there are some out there. I know, um, well, I'm not hundred percent sure, but I think Sam Musnam this year is going to be coaching in the men's NBL one. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that's somebody that's looking at that. Um, I know, you know, that there's a few that are in that position and yeah, I think it's something that, um, you know, is definitely there for the future. And, and there's and there's coaches around that, that would be capable of doing that. Uh, we're on the verge of seeing it in the in the NBA with Becky Hammond. Yeah, you absolutely. Know, there's, there's been over a dozen um, female assistants in the NBA over, over the years, and she is right on the brink of yeah. becoming a head coach. What, what do you what do you feel and think when you having watched her progression in the in the male pro coaching ranks over the years? Oh, well, I just find it, I, I find it exciting. I, I love reading articles about her. I like seeing vision of her and, and um, you know, she's, she's not a, a, a big person at all. And to see her talking to these elite athletes and, and just being in control and, and it, it's wonderful to see because the bottom line is there's, whether you're coaching men or women, there's no difference between the X's and O's. You still have to defend an on-ball screen. You still have to get to split line. You have to have spacing on offense. All those principles are basically the same, whether you're coaching men or women. I mean, there's some differences in that. I think the, the, in the men's game, you can break down. They tend to break down 
um, you know, players one-on-one more easily than females. Females is a lot more structure to get people open for shots. Men can, can break people down. Um, but really, you know, when it comes to your scouting, your preparation, it's the same. So why, why not? Why, why not have a female that's got a, you know, a coach's IQ and can see things and, and that might see things just slightly differently? Why not? What about in the front offices? around the league i mean it's it's a very male dominated scene right now in the nbl um is it similar i don't know is it similar in the in the wmbl should we see more female gms and ceos of these pro clubs well absolutely liam and that's you know i think that's one thing there's a a real push now to have females whether it's you know in basketball or just in the normal working space to to have them in more senior management decision-making positions. Um, Again, I think that's a combination of it's being male dominated and it's just keep rolling that way. And and that that females are reluctant. They've got to put their hands up and and have that courage to put their hand up and, and take these positions because I think they've got, you know, a lot to offer, a lot to offer. Um, we, we were talking about, you know, potential, um, you know, next wave of, of females to come into the NBL ranks. What about someone like Liz Mills? I mean, she oh. has, what she's done recently in, in Africa has been unbelievable. I mean, for those who aren't aware, she just led the Kenyan national team to qualification for Afro basket. First time for that country to make that qualification to that championship for nearly three decades. She's the head coach and, and you don't, and it's, she's been, she has, um, hasn't hesitated for a moment to, to uh, do her thing in, in the men's game. And it's incredible what she's been able to achieve. And that team just achieved. Would you like, is that someone you'd love to see come back and get involved in, in this league? Oh my goodness. Yes. Like I had never really heard of her at all when I, when I read that article and I was so excited and inspired, you know, I was Googling and trying to get as much information as possible. You know, I saw some vision of her and the way she spoke and she was really confident and, Mm. and, as, as if it was, you know, this is, this is just the way it is. And it's, you know, really good. And I, I love the fact that um, it was on the FIBA website. So really it was worldwide recognition of something she had done. And, and yeah, I think that's amazing. And, and to have somebody like her that would maybe potentially come back um, and, and be, you know, involved in the men's in the NBL would be sensational. What and, a story. Well, she, and she's no overnight success. No, I know. Exactly. Yeah. She's yeah. been plugging away over there in Africa for a long period of time and developing, yeah. you know, like honing her, her craft. And if you're an NBL, like if you're, if you're the Jack Jumpers, if you're any NBL team with a coaching opening within their staff of any sort, you should 100% be tapping into her and finding out what her situation is and whether or not she'd be interested in getting involved. Oh, I, I agree 100%, Liam. I, I think that would be amazing. And um, and she's she might bring a completely different perspective to the team too. I mean, she's there she is coaching a, a, a different style. And, and you know, so you, you just never know. Take a chance on that. Um, let's talk about you, you, what you've noticed around the league over recent times watching the NBA. I know you stay kind of 
um, it's your off season right now, as you know, you've spent a whole that whole period of time that was full on as uh, as part of the broadcast team for the WNBL in the hub in far north Queensland. So you're enjoying a little, you're gearing up for your your um, your in season coaching at, at at Wesley College and getting ready for that. But I know you keep tabs on the league a little bit. Let's let's start with Gorgian and his Hawks. Because um, they, you know, obviously they started the season in red hot form, four wins from their first four games. Everything was firing on all cylinders. They bring some guys back from injury, Dengadel and Cambesto, and things kind of get a little out of whack. You know, sometimes that can happen. You bring, add more talent and it subtracts from your chemistry and the way in which everybody's been playing. And, um, and as a result, they've lost six of their last nine games they're not defending at the level that they were previously they're not moving the ball and he had some really strong words to say he about did. that group yeah oh, yeah i mean he said we weren't up for the fight last night or we got out hustled out coached out played when you watched that team yesterday and you listened to him in the post-game press conferences what were your your thoughts and feelings and observations of of that group right now well you know, Liam, I, when you talk about how they came out and started to begin with, I was wondering, you might you might have more insight into this than I, I do, but, you know, to me there was, um, you know, it's a new team, a new coach, uh, and I think it was a relatively different roster that was put together. So, first of all, teams don't really know what to expect. So, I think mm -hmm. that gives them the edge. Mm -hmm. Now, further down the track they've been scouted, they know, they've got those, you know, those, they had those injuries. It's almost like too, when a new coach comes in and, and it's a new environment and, and everybody's just jumping out of their skins that they probably had that, that high energy for that mm. first bit and got those wins, which was, which was fantastic for them. Now that honeymoon period's a little bit over, um, teams have scouted them, bringing them back to that, that rotation um, would be, would be difficult. So that's where I think some of their losses probably have, have eventuated from. When I listened to that press conference last night, oh man, it just, you know, I, I felt for Gorge. You could just see it was really raw emotion from him. And it wasn't, it wasn't anger. It was disappointment. He was just so, I think, disappointed in his guys. And I think, you know, he made a really strong point of saying, you know, you can, you can lose, um, and, and, but it's how you lose. Mm. And, and, and that's just something, and, and you would know, having been coached by him too, that those are just non-negotiables, those, those energy things that, that, you know, there's nothing stopping you from running the floor, from diving on the ball, from, from just having a, a real presence on the court whether your shot goes in or not, if you've got those other elements, well, so be it. And I could just feel that in, in the way he, he put that across. Um, I think it was really important when he said it's not, it's not personal. He's not having personal stabs because that's not his style at all. Mm -hmm. mm. Um, but as a collective group, and he put himself in that group too, because he needs to get the most out of his players that it just wasn't happening the way they started out and the way they, they wanted to. Um, I think it would have been a really um, strong message to the players rather than just saying it behind closed doors. And as the player with him said, you know, it's nothing that 
he wouldn't have said to us, right. you know, and it's true. So, you know, you know, Gorge too. Um, what did you think when you, when you watched it? Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I love his, his honesty. I mean, I love it when yeah. coaches come into those press conferences and they, they speak the truth, you yeah. know, and they don't, they don't dance around it. And and you, you certainly know as, as Emmett, as you mentioned there, as he said in that press, he's, he's just said exactly those same things to us in the locker room. And he's going to say those same things to us tomorrow. He's not throwing any of us under yeah. the bus. Um, I wonder though, like, um, you know, he's famous for, and they mentioned it on the broadcast yesterday when the team was getting whacked saying, you might want to bring your running shoes to, to practice next time, you know, and, and Hammer said, look, he's famous for, you know, he, he won't hesitate to throw a three hour practice in no. there to turn this kind of thing around. What, what you, from your experiences working with him as the coach in the coaching staff, is that, how do you feel like he's most likely to try to work his team through this situation he's got those two issues right now where he doesn't feel like they're playing hard and he doesn't feel like they're playing together what will be do you think his mo over the next period of time to try to to try to turn those things around well you're right in the uh in the early days in the old days he would have just gone whack and had you know a major long training session and run and run and go hard i think you know times have changed with that and and that's not the way to go and certainly not in this hub situation where you've got you know games at one after the other and, and you've got to be really mindful of that so so I've no doubt he would be um look it's a hard one you, I, you know you've got to get your your leaders to buy in and you know so whether he has that one-on-one conversation um you know with with his with his leaders um Harvey and, 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 you know, say, look, it's, it's got to start with you guys, you know, it's, it's really got to start from there. And then it, 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 as we all know, that flows on to everybody else. If your star players doing those things, I better be doing them too. Mm. Um, so, so it might be a conversation with that and it might just be, you know, that now that this is all out, he's, mm-hmm. it's been spoken publicly. It's mm-hmm. been spoken behind closed doors that um, they become more accountable. And that right. may be why he did speak so honestly in, in front of the press was to get that point across. And that might be just that little bit of a, you know, a linchpin that, that, that kickstarts again. Mm-hmm. Tough one, um, really tough. They're in a tough, they're in a tough situation. I mean, the, those early wins certainly have kind of helped their, their status on, on the yeah. ladder. And he, yeah. he mentioned that, that at the time, I mean, they, they just got their fourth win. They'd been Cairns twice and Brisbane twice, a four zip run up there in, in Queensland. And he said, you know, the beautiful thing about these wins, no, they can't take these away. They're yeah. in the bank and, and we're a brand and he saw this coming. So we're a brand new team, brand yeah. new organization. We didn't even have balls or pens or anything when we, when we rolled in with the new ownership group at this during the off season and we're going to take our lumps. We're going to hit some roadblocks along the way, but these wins that we've banked, we've banked here at the start of the season, yeah. they can't take those away. Yeah. That's experience talking, isn't it? Mm. He, he knows, you know, he, he probably knew that in the future that this isn't, they're not going to come as easily as these first four. Mm. And, and we are going to be on a bit of a roller coaster mm. and, and that's fine. And I think he knows that. And I think he expressed that last night, but it's just, you, you can't, you can't give up some of those just effort things. And I think mm-hmm. that's what was really, really hurting him. Mm. Um, it was a fun week. It's been a fun couple of weeks of games because the games have been, 
coming. Oh my- we had, that was a 10-game round we just had in the NBL, which is a little unheard of. What, what um, you know, we saw some some fun results, some upsets. We saw that, you know, a team like Brisbane, they go down to New Zealand and then they go whackety-whack over Perth and Melbourne. Um, the Wildcats, they, they took a loss during that that week but um but a, and, and barring barring the last game with uh, Illawarra and Perth they were all close games like winnable mm. by anybody mm-hmm. i mean how exciting is that at in this hub and at this time of the season that you know you can't really predict with any level of certainty who's going to win each game it's fantastic yeah, yeah for sure um and i mean New Ze- that New Zealand Melbourne game was a kind of a perfect example of that, right? Like that New Zealand team was really, really struggling for a period of time. They're rolling now. Yeah. They've got some good kind of flow going. And heck, if Ty Webster hadn't have fouled out, if he had out for so trouble, much, yeah, um, they, yeah. they might have even got over over the line there. What what else did you observe or or think about over the course of this last weekend? Oh well, there was lots of you know, lots of fun players to watch you know I, I I haven't been you know honestly I haven't been watching the games as I would if I'm commentating or coaching or that I you know for a while there I just watched them as a, a fan and it's mm-hmm. been fun to do that with the NBL because mm-hmm. you sort of find some players that you like and you watch them and you know Josh Giddy is one of them and and you know I hadn't seen him well I I shouldn't say I hadn't seen him play. I had seen him play in the school competition. Mm-hmm. Um, but but to see him at 18 years old and what he's doing right now and his skill set has just blown me away. I mean, he's fun to watch. And, mm. and I was at a lunch with um, and work was there a few weeks ago. And I just had to go up and say how much I enjoyed watching him play. And, and because it's true, he's got... You know, he could create for others when he gets his feet in the paint, score himself, create for others. I mean, he's for somebody his age or even not his age. He's a great passer. He's got such good vision. He, he almost seems sees the play ahead. You know, my, my biggest concern for Josh is um, how is he going to cope throughout the whole season with accumulated fatigue? Right. I mean, he's a young body. He's up against some pretty strong men out there that have had pre-seasons and seasons. And, and I think, you know, you get banged around when you make cuts and, and come off on balls and whatever. And so that accumulated fatigue over the course of the season, I'll be interested to see in the last half or last third of the season where he's at. Hopefully it has no impact, mm. um, but he's still a young body. You know what he needs he needs a couple of triple doubles. He needs what Lamella did last year, midway through the season, where he had those back-to-back triple doubles. Oh yeah, how and good would made, that be? You know, and he's been right there a couple of times. And you see, I mean, week after week, his stat line is kind of like a couple of boards and a couple of dimes. And he's even had a you know a couple of I think maybe a couple or at least one double double and a couple away. But to create those headlines as part of the hype game and the process in the lead up to the draft, it's it would probably be the worst thing to happen to the Adelaide 36ers because the kid might shut it down <laughs> like, <laughs> like, Lamella, like Lamella did. But if, if he can just have a couple of those bust-out games that create headlines and shockwaves, I think that's going to help set him up. Over and above 
what you know what he's producing on a week-to-week basis right so now. you don't well yeah that would that would make sense because i think right now surely he's got to be on the radar of 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 people on the other side oh of the he's world. on the radar I mean, I mean he's a first round pick right now yeah absolutely but 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 to to leap because to take the leap that Lamelo took from being an early yeah. second round or an early first round to a top three pick and going, you know, and being put into a situation to be able to do. Now you have to have the game because no matter where you get picked, once you get put put out there on the floor, you've got to be able to produce. So the development yeah. piece of it all is very very important. But you, the 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 there's a lot more in the lead up to the draft in terms of the hype and the hair. True, catching people's attention that's part of that. And I just think a couple of stat sheet stuffing performances like that would, would hold him in good stead. We'll just have a quick chat to the Adelaide coach, will you, Liam? <laughs> and just have, you know, have him set up a few little uh, scenarios for, for Giddy. Oh, he's, I mean, it's Drew's been saying it on the broadcast. He's a triple double waiting to happen. Like it's, yeah. it's literally around the corner, but you just hope he smashes a couple out here mid season. But while, because um, things are going to get interesting now. They're about to bring in their brand new import, Brandon Paul, straight out of yeah. the NBA and the Euro League, who's going to come in and, and get buckets. That that could, you know, what kind of impact that has on on Josh. You know, it's another guy who can help him with his assist numbers and can help mm. spread the floor and help him get into the lane a little bit. Um, but it's interesting. I mean, he's been in a good place with this group and for a period of time. He's handled Isaac Humphreys going down really well. Um, and I was really impressed with that Adelaide team actually over the course of this last weekend. I thought, geez, no Isaac Humphreys. Yeah. They're going to be in yeah. a bit of a hole, but they were yeah. valiant. Who did they go down to? They were valiant in their, their first, their loss. And then, um, and then they came out and, and got a yeah. win. So yeah. I thought that was a really impressive weekend from them. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, I mean, Joss is a huge part of that and um, you know, the minutes he plays and, and how he can, bring others into the game and, and he's got such a innate feel for things. It's, you know, you can't teach those things. And once he really starts getting a consistent long range shot three, um, you know, he's, but, but you can work on those things. You know, I was impressed defensively um, that, you know, a couple of times w- through whether it was transition or a switch or that, I mean, he, he kept Ma- Machado, uh, in front of him, you know, mm. he was able, on, on penetration. He, he uses his length really well. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, um, it'd be great to see those headlines come out um, about Josh. Speaking of uh, making headlines to finish up here, um, not the son of an NBL legend, but the daughter of an NBL legend, Shyla Hill, what she did in the WNBL hub a couple of months ago, we, She's obviously on her way now towards the WNBA draft. She's got a spectacular career ahead of her over there, but also in the green and gold. What were your impressions of her over this past WNBL season? Oh, well, she was somebody else that was so fun to watch. Um, and, and again, her, just like Josh, very, very high IQ, basketball IQ. And, and to see her even just even the course of the season, the things that she improved on and, and, but, you know, she could distribute the ball. She was a great passer, you know, wasn't afraid to shoot and, 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 you know, came up big time when her team needed her. I mean, Townsville did a, did a great job. So there's nothing but upside for her. 
And, you know, it'll be interesting to see uh, in, you know, in this next Opal's campaign, if she's mm. part of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, it's the same question with Josh is, is, is it worthwhile having him in there um, sort of for the future? I mean, Gorge has different questions to answer whether, you know, all the NBA players are going to be available or not. Um, but with Shyla, it's the same. Do you, do you get her in there? Cause we obviously a point guard, Leilani's uh, an aging point guard that's got to be filled at some stage. So, you know, really huge prospects for both of them. Would you like to see Sandy take her? Well, you're, you're not a selector right now. You're not an assistant. I probably, ta- I probably would um, to give her that experience. Okay. To, to, to give her that experience. Yeah. Because we know that this will be Leilani's last, um, last Olympics. Um, so, you know, I mean, we've got, there's others that are going to be backing up Leilani, um, but why not, why not give her one of those 11, 12 spots to, to give her that experience. Having said that, you know, I think when you're selecting for an Olympics or that, there's the, there's the, the debate about giving somebody experience or picking your best 12 right now, whether that's, you know, not a shot, maybe that's a, uh, uh, is, is Levy better is, you know, whoever, whoever been there before. I mean, that's the debate you have um, when you go to an Olympics or a world championships. <laughs> There's so much more we could talk about Liam, you know, the, the teams that are in the top, the money teams, I call mm. them some ideas that I've got about fourth quarter movement and that. So there's, oh. there's lots of things to. Um, talk, well, hold you know, on. Talk to me. Talk to me. Fourth quarter. Well, the fourth quarter, and this is an observation I made watching these games this last round, is that sometimes I think the move, I mean, if you look what happens in the first quarter compared to the fourth quarter, um, there's a lot less movement. And, you know, one in particular I was looking at uh, with Bryce Cotton and and when they played Brisbane, um, for three possessions in a row when, when Bryce was on defense, whoever he was guarding stood in the corner. They were spreading the floor. They were doing a high up high pick and roll. And, and literally he stood and rested. Then he got the ball exploded out and, and scored. I don't know if you remember in the start of that fourth quarter, he brought them back, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and so I think if teams in that fourth quarter can have more movement, that's when defense, it's harder. It's harder to navigate screens. It's harder to talk and communicate. Um, it's, you know, you're not quite in the right position, so you might foul more. So if teams can have that bit more movement in the fourth quarter, I think it would, I think it would benefit them. And that's where I think purse stands out to a degree because they have a bit more structure. And so they're willing to run some structure in the fourth to keep getting people open and keep getting that movement. And it can't just be ball movement on the perimeter. It's got to be player movement as well. Mm -hmm. So I think that's, you know, something, I mean, there's always exceptions. I think back to when DMAC, you know, we would just go, all right, everybody clear out DMAC, <laughs> Anstey, come set a high pick and roll and do your stuff. And right. there's, there's combinations on teams that do that too. But, but overall, uh, you know, or even Jock Landell sprinting the floor, mm-hmm. beating Ivor in the fourth quarter mm. and getting an easy bucket. Mm. You know, it was just that extra effort in the fourth quarter 
And, you know, maybe somebody like United that that will ultimately help them in the end because they rotate a lot of bodies and are fresher near the end. Mm. Um, and so uh, it's a great point because the Wildcats in the fourth quarter, um, you, you know, it's time and clock and situation. We sometimes see the ball in Bryce's hands at the yeah. top. And yeah. we saw that late in the game against Southeast Melbourne. They called that foul on Cam Glidden, which is a whole yep. nother conversation we, we've seen it a couple of other times this season right where he had the turnover against melbourne united with the ball out in his yeah. hands waiting yeah. for the clock to, to yeah. wind down but for the most part throughout the previous four or five minutes they continue to to run their sets yeah. run their la series their loops yeah. actions the flex cuts the down screens and yeah. you have all of that movement off the ball and as a result they create opportunities and brisbane is a is a team that's a little bit like that for me yeah. Yeah, yeah they, I agree. They, they don't. They don't, for the most part, just tighten their offensive execution down the stretch. They continue to run the the, the similar type of actions that they are running in the second and third quarters, and get two feet in the paint. The kick out open threes end up being there, and the ball is not necessarily just in one person's hands yeah yeah Nathan Sobey's been incredible in the fourth quarters over the course this season yeah one of the league leaders in fourth quarter scoring but they're at their best for me down the stretch when players like you said players are moving the ball's moving and they're a little less predictable at the offensive end well when the when when you only have one pass and a shot defense hasn't had to shift so everybody's in a good blocking out position you know so it's hard to get an offensive rebound it's hard to get a put back then whereas if there's that movement and there might be some switching in that and you know when a shot potentially is going to come out of your offense then you're in good shape you're in better shape to know that uh, get a rebound so like i say there's always exceptions and if somebody's got a hot hand of course go to them and, and run whatever but just as a general theme, um, I think it's an interesting one. It's such a balancing act, though, too, right? It Isn't is. It? Because teams want to make sure they get a shot up. Like if it's the final possession, they want to make, you know, we have saw, I think back to the, um, the, the Boomers at the 2014 World Cup, that game against Turkey, when Prelzik hits this three, they go down. But we have one last possession, and it, and it was a complicated play that Andre drew up, and the ball was going here, there, and everywhere. And the ball that gets deflected, we, we don't we don't get a shot up, you know. Um, and then oh, totally. And then, but then on the flip side, like for Southeast Melbourne the other day, after that foul with with Cam Glidden, Bryce Cotton, one free throw, they go one point up. Well, Kyle Adams got the hot hand, so they put it in his hands. Um, but it it ended up being a pretty a pretty easy action to defend, you know. Mitch Norton's right there in his grill. Yes, they got a shot up, but it wasn't a great look heavily contested three when you only need uh you know uh, any kind of score to get to yeah. ot or try to get the win i would have liked to have seen him drop that off to to creek after that kind of ghost screen that that they run i mean it's it's so yeah, easy thought, in hindsight I thought, yeah I, I mean i was the same i thought oh because i think it was only a two-point game so they just needed a two to tie it one or one point yeah, yeah just just get it inside you know and and in those situations you almost want an early shot so you have a chance if you miss it mm -hmm. to get an old board and a put back or or that sort of thing so mm -hmm. i mean i'm not talking necessarily absolute end of game shots right. i'm talking generally minutes. in the in the fourth quarter in right. the in the last yes six five six minutes and, and you mentioned the money teams we're coming down to the final week of the nbl cup 150 for the team that that finishes first perth 
I would say, in the prime position right now. With, yeah. What have they got? Uh, New Zealand and, and Adelaide, I think, in the in the final week, and they're right there at the top of the table. What, what have you noticed? Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane. What have been your observations? Well, about? I think the, you know those they're they're the the money teams right now, and I really think looking at the ladder and games left, Sydney's really the only other one that can bump any of those three out. But you know, I think they're up there for a reason, and I uh, you know for me, Perth is um, you know. I like what I like that they run a bit more structure. I mean, a lot of coaches nowadays and when we get down to the junior ranks are very much, you know, no, get away from, you know, shuffle and flex and UCLA Mm -hmm. and that. And let's let's do our our conceptual motion or flow or whatever, which has its place, too. But I think structure has its place. And I love all the wrinkles they have. So I think they do read the defense. You know, that's one of the criticism of those offenses is that it doesn't give players the ability to to read defense now man they read them so well they, and that's what all the their wildcats are the wildcats read the defense better than any other team in the league oh i agree you know if you're if they're if cotton's getting top blocked where you go he does a back gore cut he right. got three layups mm-hmm. because of that mm. you know so simple that's reading your defense mm. um so so i like what they do now Certainly helps they're at the top when they've got the, you know, top scorer and top rebounder in their team. Um, but I, I, I like what, and they clearly bought into what um, Trevor Gleason wants them to do. But, you know, I think that in itself is a real tick for, for running some structure. Um, then you've got United, who I, I think they're there because of their depth, their defense, um, you know, running 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 and they're going to make turnovers with that speed but they're they're high octane and they can do that because of their depth because they've got you know I thought the other day when they um who were they playing uh when they started off against um Brisbane they were terrible I mean they were really they looked so tired I thought Mm. and you know at some stage I, I think they're virtually the whole bench was on and, and did much better than their starters. Um, you know, and then they changed and they had a big comeback and they, they looked good, but Brisbane ultimately prevailed. But I think, I think they have the luxury of, and, and um, Dean Vickerman uses his players really well. Like he's not afraid to, to, you know, if you're playing well, stay on the court if you're a bench player. Um, and, and the thing I like about Melbourne is they've got, two players still two starters virtually to come back in you know um so they're they're there for a reason and, and a really good defensive team and then we've just got brisbane who's the form team right now mm. and i think and liam I, i'd like to know what you think is I, I think it's brisbane's just consistency right now with their lineup and i might have missed something because i wasn't you know i haven't followed all the games but mm. But they, they don't have any injuries right now, do they? They don't. And they and they had they missed Matty Hodgson a little bit at the start yeah. of the season and, and yeah. getting him back into the group has been huge, right? They're 0 and 3 without him. And I think yeah. they're seven and two with him. And and you're right. I mean, they have they've got no key, you know, Adelaide have no Isaac Humphreys right now. Yeah. Um, and Cairns is not a super duper star, but they got no Majuk Dang, a real key piece to their roster. Um, the Wildcats, they've got all their guys. Yeah. The Bullets, they've got all their guys. And as a result, um, yeah, their, 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 their rotations are where they are supposed to be. Yeah. They've established kind of some symmetry and some chemistry and they're playing at a really high level right now. 
Yeah, and that's that's why I think they're you know if they can if they can keep that going and 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 you know they they're happy to share the ball. I mean they had twenty two assists against Melbourne the other day and and you know that's that's great basketball to watch. That's great team basketball, fun to play in. I think as a as a player, I think it's fun to play in that environment, and um, so they they're deservedly where they are right now. I, I think that might have been the game when I I was sitting there in the broadcast booth, and I'm thinking I'm sure I'm annoying all the the viewers right now because I kept on referring to their their assist numbers compared to their field goal. You know, like 22, I had like 17 assists, but the beautiful the cool thing about it was they had more assists than made field goals. Because of the, the, the assist that they were racking up from the free throw line as well. And, and um, that's, that's just a result. I mean, Cap, uh, Jason Kadi does a great job yeah. in regard for that team leading that style of play. But that's what I was talking about before. They're, they're, they've got their two superstars in Nathan Sobey and Vic Law, but they're, they're not dominating the ball right now. The ball's yeah. moving, the players are moving. Everybody, you know, Anthony Dremick's involved. Matty Hodgson had a career high yesterday everybody's involved they're in a really good place right now. yeah yeah i agree so that's it's fun so that's our that's the money teams out there and and, and like i say i think sydney is really the only team you know you look at illawarra's on 17 with sydney and melbourne to play so that's going to be tough for them well, i don't have the ladder in front of the nbl cup ladder in front of me southeast melbourne we've got three games this week. I mean, if they run the table. Yeah, yeah. If they, if they have a good run, they've got Melbourne, Cairns and New Zealand. Okay. Yeah. Um, so we'll see so, what they can so do. So they're a chance because, yeah, they're one, one, have played one less game. And it's going to be interesting because Ryan Brokoff comes out of quarantine. Yes. Yeah. This yes. week. I spoke with um, head coach Simon Mitchell recently about how he's going to approach that. And he said, look, we'll get him out there. We'll get him practicing and whatnot. But Two weeks of, of in, staying in your room is no joke. You yeah. Know, to be able to come out and perform at the, the kind of, and he hasn't played for a, a while as well, having not had an NBA contract for a period of time and, and trying to get one. So I think they're going to be pretty conservative in rolling him out. People are excited about maybe he might be uh, you know, involved and in the starting lineup for the throwdown against Melbourne United on Wednesday night. I'd be, sh- I'd be shocked if he plays... I'd be surprised if he plays at all over this next week and shocked if he plays major minutes. You never know. It could be one of those things, you know, where you just you haven't done something for a long time and you're throwing out there and you just dominate for one <laughs> game and then you just die. Yeah. <laughs> I'm looking forward. I'm, I'm, I'm going to the uh, games on Wednesday and Saturday, so I'm looking forward to uh, getting to the NBL Cup. Hundred percent. All right, great stuff. Thanks, Laurie. It uh, it took too long to get you on, but International Women's Day it made good sense to have the chat that we had. And um, let's get you back on for another chat sometime soon. That sounds great. Thanks so much, Liam. Cheers, Laurie.